always I'm I love all people, all genders, no matter what your sexuality is, um, boy, girl, transgender, whatever, gay, lesbian, bi. I'm somebody who's so accepting of all, you know, races and background just because like that's the whole point I wanted to come to an international school is because I was so tired of hearing about like the same stories, you know, the everybody came from the same background. Like I needed to just hear people's stories and, you know, kind of learn through their experiences and hear something new. And that's why like it saddens me that the world is so polarized because we could have such beautiful stories and we could, you know, like work together to make this, you know, like the world a better place. Like I know that sounds really cheesy, but we could. And instead we we choose war instead of love or peace each time. It's because we all want to prove a point. When in reality there's like no point of proof when it comes to, you know, like racial equality. That was really powerful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the I Speaks on Justice podcast. Polarization, unity, awareness, love, and art are a few of the big topics that we're going to touch on today. As you hear the second half of our interview with Leo, a Black American French Haitian Jewish student new at ISB this year. In the second half of the episode, you'll hear another interview, this time with Anaïs, who recently studied the Black Lives Matter movement for a school project. One of the outcomes of her project was to produce artwork that would bring more awareness to the Black Lives Matter movement. So you'll hear her describe her art and the artists who influenced her. At the very beginning of the episode, you heard from Leo, whose powerful message will hopefully stick with you as you listen to the interviews we prepared for you. Being black in America versus being black in France. We Can we go back to that for a mm-hmm. hot second? So you said it's, I don't know, more talked about in black history in America. Mm-hmm. But even if it's more talked about, do you think it's talked about enough? I don't think it's talked about enough. I think that it's a subject that's really, really, really sensitive just because America has been through a lot with its, with its civil rights movement and is still going through a lot. I think that definitely from what I saw like before the summer break when there was that whole black protest movement Black Lives Matter in the States, I think that America pushed away, so the civil rights movement happens, and then during like um, decades to come, the subject was kind of pushed aside, and so therefore, by electing Trump, who wasn't necessarily the most racially accepting president, I think that America kind of lost its identity, mm-hmm. and is now, right now, trying to find it again. So, of course, when finding it again, you have to go back to history, which is, you know, Native American civil rights. So I definitely think that in the States, there's a lot of work to unify blacks and whites because it's still very, very, very polarized. There are numerous factors that that cause this polarization. But for me, it's definitely not talked enough, and there's definitely not aw- enough awareness that's brought to it. So for me, the first step, or one step, for example, is maybe like creating some type of unity in schools with black and white or bringing awareness to the issue. For me, there's not enough talking about it, and it's not talked about enough because it, there is still major racism that exists. And I mean, it does stem from the colonial roots, America, France, the UK, mm-hmm. um, Spain these countries who mm-hmm. are they had the power back mm-hmm. then and they were predominantly white and then mm-hmm. they went and 
conquered these areas of these Asian countries, these African countries, the Caribbean countries, exactly. and they enforced their rule mm-hmm. on them. And that's where a lot of the white supremacy came mm-hmm. from, you know, exactly. because, you know, the people who were in power were white and mm-hmm. that was the case. And then it's continued in a more nuanced mm-hmm. way <laughs> exactly. to today. But like to touch back to like two things, I know that even like going back to the roots of U.S. history, even those people who were white, for example, the Irish and the Germans, they they were still like automatically put aside. So like America was very, very like, oh, you have to be American, white, you know, Protestant. But there's, of course, it played on numerous factors. So I just don't want to seem like I'm completely putting aside like the all the Irish and the Germans that were also Of course, of yeah, the struggles that everybody, exactly. everybody faces. This was something that wasn't really talked about a lot because it was at the same time as George Floyd's whole scandal. But for example, I remember reading the New York Times with my mom and her being so shocked because there was a video that went around of a woman in Central Park with her dog that was like, get away from me, talking to this black man. Get away from me, you're attacking Uh, me. Yes, I do remember remember that. that? I do. I think it wasn't talked about enough for me. And the the black man was filming. Yeah, he was taking photographs of the birds in the park or something like that. Exactly, the birds in the park being like, and he filmed the whole scene. Mm because she was like, you're attacking me, get away from me, when he was literally so calm. Mm -hmm. And all he said was like, thank you, thank you very much, Mm -hmm. just to show that like, that's the issue in the United States right now. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think in situations like those people, I mean, black people, when they're they're confronted with with white people, I don't, uh, that sounds very polarized, but it's, it's the truth. I mean, when they're confronted with situations where if somebody cries wolf, mm-hmm. they're going to believe a white person over the yeah. black person because that's just how the police system yeah. works at, in America at this point in time. And it is a situation where if they cry wolf, people have been incarcerated, put in jail and incarcerated and put on death's row for things that they didn't commit just mm-hmm. because somebody called on them. Exactly. And I mean, I think that's why black people tend to be a lot more careful when it comes mm-hmm. to the police. I mean. We had F the police by NWA, what, 32 years ago, and that's still relevant to this day. Exactly. I don't really know a lot about the police force, but in the, like, American police force, from, like, just the pictures I've seen, even through, like, the whole George Floyd scandal, which is something that I've really paid attention to, there's not enough black, you know, like, unification, black and white unification. I remember when I was 12, I, you know, I went shopping with my friend at our favorite mall down the street which we had gone to like a thousand times, but this time it was different. You know, the workers, you know, they checked my friend's pockets on the way into the store and on the way out, but hadn't checked anyone else's. And I didn't know it at the time, but it was because she was the only African-American in the entire store. And because of their own like prejudiced, biased judgments and stereotypes on race, they assumed that she had stolen. Did you have a chance to talk with your friend about, you know, what she was feeling when that happened to her at the mall or... How did, how, what what happened after that? Was there any sort of follow-up, any sort of conversation, any? She actually, she told me that like she was used to it and it wasn't like the first time it happened and it's happened to her many times and even to her, like she had an older brother and it happened to her, it happened to him like almost all the time. And like, that really shocked me, like how a 12 year old is already used to that kind of treatment. And uh, that really shocked me. But like, again, um, when I was 12, I, I didn't really understand why she was the only person in the store being checked. You know, I didn't understand why. And then later out, I found out it was because of, um, cause she was the only person in the store that was actually African-American. So it, was, it really shocked me that like she was only 12 and she was already used to that kind of treatment. And, and did that happen in Canada or did it happen? Were you living in the United States at the time? or? Oh, no, that happened here in Montreal. 
it happens everywhere even like montreal united states like people only think it happens in the united states but everywhere exactly and that's what i was just going to say i think it's really good for a, a lot of these conversations we end up going back to the united states and the narrative becomes about the united states but like you said it, it can happen anywhere in the world mm. okay so good for us to remember thank you for that what are you still worried about in terms of black lives matter what progress do you think still remains to be made i'm terrified that it's going to become like a reactionary movement almost or like a trend or just another hashtag Mm. And it's just going to become like another, you know, talking point in the eyes of the public and the media. And that we're all just like a few videos away from becoming like, you know, completely uh, desensitized. That the, you know, the public um, execution of like African-American people will just be normal, you know, and nobody will be completely surprised. And I'm terrified that like their stories are just going to become forgotten and will be just like another disappear the day we become silent about things that matter um i'm also scared about how like the different representatives of black lives matter have like you know different opinions and of how the movement should be the objectives of black lives matter are different for all representatives and this like internal conflict causes you know everyone in the movement to not be on the same page and i think that this could lead to like movement even completely self-destructing because of ongoing fighting that's going on. Some representatives in Black Lives Matter believe Malcolm X and they believe that, you know, there should be more forward with their tactics and believe that, you know, violence uh, will enforce change. But others believe like, um, you know, Martin Luther King and they think that change will only occur with like peaceful uh, protests and pressure. And, you know, others will think that, you know, we should def defund the police. Others think we should just change their mindset. We should be more political. Others believe, you know, we should be uh, more, uh, more protest should be going on. For example, when um, Occupy Wall Street occurred, there was like no agreement within the movement, which led to it like self-imploding. And I'm just really, really scared that the same thing will happen to Black Lives Matter. I watched an interview recently that Oprah did. And Oprah, I forget who she was talking to. I think she was I don't remember. I'll tell you. I'll, I'll I'll put it in reference in the podcast or something. But the person she interviewed said, interviewed said, you know, one of the reasons that we paid attention to George Floyd is because we were all on lockdown. Yeah. We had nothing else to look at. Exactly. What happens when, like you said, we, you know, we get so used to seeing this kind of violence and this kind of murder and we become desensitized to, to this type of event. And, and I, I'm scared, I agree with you, I'm scared that we, that we paid attention to George, George Floyd because we had nothing else to pay attention to, forced to, to pay attention to what was happening. So thanks for bringing that up. So is there anything that you're hopeful about? Um, yeah, that I'm, uh, I'm the thing is, it's, I feel like it's not a reactionary movement and it's, this is not just happening because of George Floyd. I think it's like a culmination of like Tamir Rice, of Eric Garner and every other victim of police brutality. And I'm hopeful that Black Lives Matter is a part of our global conversation right now. It's forcing people across every, everywhere, um, of all walks of life, of every economy, to see if we are where we need to be and what we need to do to get where we're trying to go. Before we were like fighting for people to even say Black Lives Matter, and now everybody's saying Black Lives Matter. And I think that's progress. And, uh, and that gives me kind of a bit of hope for like a better future. And I believe that like also insight about Black, like you said, insight about Black Lives Matter is not enough. You know, I, I must also we must do action and uh, there must needs to be more engagement beyond even a protest that needs to happen. And I hope that these protests give people courage to go, you know, deeper, to listen, to learn more, to go donate to Black Lives Matter movements, to transform the school curriculum 
each other, you know, like, what are we doing beyond this statement, you know? Um, that's my hope that we transform the movement into something that is going to matter for Black lives, for Brown lives, uh, for Asian lives. I think that art can make a huge difference in the way someone thinks and it could, you know, it's like a protest art and it can make someone, you know, even donate to Black Lives Matter, it could be really powerful. Um, so I did about four pieces. Uh, they, each of them describe a different meaning of Black Lives Matter, you know, and I tried to make it as, you know, impactful as possible. There was one Black artist that I got inspired by and he used, for example, for Tamir, life's only lived for 12 years. So he painted his um, picture for only 12 minutes. Um, one of them that I did was Hands Up, Don't Shoot, and it represented like, you know, uh, the powerlessness of uh, minorities and, you know, and it symbolized the fear and panic they feel. And uh, just like the small fraction of African-Americans that have lost their lives due to police brutality. And I put like newspaper headings, you know, that portray like the headlines we see every day for Black Lives Matter. And then this other one that I did called Discoloration, where I represented like, you know, the lack of unity in America and our feeding mm. values, you know? And that's where I used um, the work of Adrian Brandon, you know, when he painted it only for a few minutes uh, based on how, mon how much time they lived. And then the other one I did was called Broken American Dream. And that was where I represented, you know, how the relationship between people was like fractured and I did this by like making the colors like a bit rough, you know, unpolished to show like the tension and, and race relations. And again, I put like the newspaper headings to show, you know, what we see in the media and the misrepresentation sometimes. And then the other one called Silence Kills, which was the last one I did. And it was, I did the red, as you said, and uh, the innocent blood and tears I have been shed and their mouths covered because they have like no voice, um, no power. Thank you so much for listening and sticking around till the end. We'll be back soon with the first episode of a new series on isms with feminism. Until then, check out the growing list of resources we're publishing on our Instagram at ispeaksonjustice. And check out Anais's artwork, which will also be published on Insta, ours and the school's Instagram at the Interna International School of Paris. I hope you all enjoyed and we can't wait to see you next week when we come back at you with our feminism episode. Happy, happy Women's History Month and until next time, bye!